Hot round! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot round! I don't. What is hot round? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob! This is it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide-open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Are you gonna get me the oh, ball? Oh, I'll get you the ball! Get me the ball! Get me the ball! Get me the I hope he didn't kill somebody. Welcome in to another exciting edition of 11 Personnel. I'm Nick Roush. Today, hanging out with Adam Luckett. We got a nice little appearance coming later on from Kentucky assistant football coach. But Luckett, you're you're the showtime. You're the, uh, I, I guess, I don't know, is warm-up act? No, you... Salute to you, sir. We'll just put it that way. You're the headliner in my eyes. I'm the dinner and he's the dessert. There we go. Yeah, there because go. Uh, when we do speak with John Summerall, it's horrible quality on my part of the recording, and I only just threw in a few snippets, but I think you'll find it interesting to hear from the U.K. linebackers coach who uh, talked to us for about 30 minutes about a few different things, uh, but we'll get to all of that later. First, Adam Luckett, I'm noticing you're in a different venue than we normally record this. We've been doing this virtually via Zoom, but instead of a room with like, you know, shelves and stuff, there's there's different kind of shelves and like air ducts. Well, it's the same uh, bookcase. It just moved downstairs. We have my little what's going to be my office. Oh, not totally fixed yet because we have we found out yesterday. If you have AT and T fiber. It's drilled into the wall, so you can't really move the internet. <laughs> so we're going to move my office downstairs, the room I'm in today, into my full-time office. Full-time office, man, the man cave attached. But we couldn't do that yesterday. So we got about half the stuff down here and then realized, oh, I can't really move my stuff yet, so let's move it back upstairs. <laughs> so we've got, you know – some stuff in here. We're probably about 60, 70% done with this room. How just have it to f- get the internet fixed and then we'll be ready to roll. Well, I think the important parts have already been moved down there. Am I correct? You have a bar downstairs? Yes, and- we have a bar. We were supposed to get a couch this week. Uh, we Ooh. had a mailing snafu. Apparently oh, they, they just delivered happen. legs. <laughs> <laughs> sit on this <laughs> so, so we uh, oh my wife was not too happy so we're waiting oh, on that she, still. is she one of those that is like happy to give them a piece of her mind yeah yeah yes and no um she's like, more uh, she's less patient than i am i would say i just I, i'm one of those that like when dealing with customer service reps like when was the last time you ever returned clothes or like returned anything to a store? I feel like just as men, we're naturally yeah. less. Well, my wife to... tells me to. Exactly, like it's it's a very <laughs> like we just I I don't ever feel the need to return something. If it doesn't fit, well then you need to lose some weight, fat ass. You know, like you know if you don't like it, well you know you'll find some time to wear it. But I, I feel like women though are much more willing to. Um, not only return something, but if something goes wrong, they're willing to talk to the person in charge, get to the bottom of it, and then get something out of it. Yes, they're more willing to fix the problem while we'll just delay the problem. Yeah, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a good way. To put it. We're just going to put it off for another yeah. week or two while they're actually going to fix the damn thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm happy to see that you're 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 getting your own space. You're getting your own man cave where you can just kind of exhale and just be a football guy because sometimes football guys just need to get away and you know what what guys be dudes and knock on wood we'll hopefully have a football season to enjoy this beautiful space and over at the luck household yeah yeah there's there's a lot to get to on that avenue but yeah we'll I, get to I, that later yeah i Look at all this like teasing we're doing. It's almost like we're <laughs> professionals or something. But we want to start first with playing a fun little hypothetical game um, that Jack Pilgrim and I played last weekend. Where uh, 
Jack and I, we've reached this point where we got a nice little routine with Saturdays. And to make it easy on ourselves, we're going to be doing kind of series of features uh, throughout the summer where it's five somethings, just a list of five things. Uh, he'll take the basketball side. I'll take the f- football side. Uh, this week we're going to attack five of the biggest misses on the recruiting front, um, which will be a fun little game to play that kind of dovetails off of the five what ifs. And uh, I always like the what if game because when I was a kid, we got sporting news for a little while and they had a, a what if issue that they would release in the summertime, kind of, you know, run all-star break and all that. And I still remember uh, one of the covers had Michael Jordan in a trailblazers uniform. And it was, you know, what if Sam Bowie uh, doesn't get picked second and said the Blazers picked Michael Jordan. Another one of their what ifs is one that he used with, uh, what if Rick Pitino stays uh, and doesn't go to the Boston Celtics in 1997? Uh, my what ifs, Jack, or I, was, I was calling you Jack Pilgrim there for a second. Uh, <laughs> one of my, my big what ifs that I, I had fun with, like it, is there, there was one that, you know, I, I think is the most uh, on the front of everyone's mind, and that's just McGinnis hitting that kick against Mississippi State. It feels like the most recent big kind of sliding doors moment where. That right, doesn't absolutely. go in. Things could be a lot different. But I, when digging through some old things, I, I came upon a few that I was like, ooh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah, the Boom and Bidette one's a good one because the 10-1 season might happen a year earlier in 2017 than 2018 yeah. because that's just – that's what – offensively they were missing offensively they could have had probably a top 30 top 20 offense now the defense struggled defense really didn't come on until the next year but right that offense could have been all kinds of fun there in 2017 yeah no no denying that and especially that was a year it wasn't quite as I mean, the schedule set up well that year too right right and it, it wasn't one of those seasons like i think it might have been 14 where they lost i forget there was a uh a stat like they lost five games by 10 points or something stupid. Whereas in this one, uh, you lost the, the one point game to Florida, uh, the infamous uh, covering the receiver kind of game. And then you lost uh, Ole Miss by, oh, to DK Metcalf. That was DK Metcalf game. Uh, and the other games are kind of blowouts. That was Lamar Jackson revenge. But still, that's nine mm-hmm. wins. You can go win your 10th game in a, a big bowl game. Mm hmm. And, you know, who knows the trajectory of the season if you're uh, going into Mississippi State 6-0, and top 25 team in the country. So th- that of- team could Go have ahead. been a lot – they really scrapped to get those seven, but they were a few plays away uh, from a lot more, and the perfect guys for that were Boom and Bidet. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, kind of their schedule – Every game was a close game. And then they ran out of gas there at the end. The Georgia game, I think – if you go back and watch that game, Kentucky was in that game for a long time. And it just got – kind of got loose on them. And Chubb and Michelle just got rolling. Conrad got hurt. Uh, Steven Johnson just missed that pass. um, They had some red zone snafus that really cost cost them. Because they, they had, they had uh, I think, a lead and the ball after a Josh Allen interception. I think I want to say it was like three to nothing or something. Yeah, I think and so. They only got like three points out of two early turnovers by Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Georgia, Georgia. It was 21 to 13 because they score first possession, second half, and then they couldn't get a stop. And then they go and move the ball again. It gets stopped like in the scoring territory, and then Georgia scores right immediately again. But before the half, Taven Richardson drops that pass. Mm. But that would have been, you know, a touchdown. And then you add in – they came down and drove the ball down, down the field and scored. They were just, they were really close um, to that game. Steven Johnson missed a couple throws. Mm-hmm. Um, some receivers had some drops. But they were they were kind of, they were in that they were like they were in that game. That's all I'll say. Um, and then they lost. Like you just look at some of these close games. There was, you know, open with Southern Miss win by a touchdown. You, Eastern Michigan at home looked like they might lose that game, win by four. Missouri with that crazy comeback. And remember, was it Josh Allen who 
spike the ball or toss the ball at the oh, end. Yeah. And Missouri got all mad and they couldn't he get knocked a snap it out off. of the, the dude's hand. And then that referee just watched, <laughs> just had a casual <laughs> stroll to go get the football. Oh man. Cause they almost, that was almost a major meltdown. Right. And then you had the Tennessee game where it was uh, the crazy 2017 Tennessee game where Steven Johnson goes out, comes back in. And then the, the music city ball where they go for two at the end to try to win it. Which, so it was it was a it was a it wasn't a dull year I will say that and if you no. have if you had that little more firepower on offense who knows what could have, what could have happened because you really did have a good schedule that season. Well, and when I went and looking dove into the numbers, uh, Kentucky had they, they were like third in the SEC I believe in all of their kind of explosive plays, uh, and I just went for the big ones. I went for thirty or more because that's what Boom and Bidet were, uh, mm-hmm. and they had almost half that number. The following year without Boom and Bidet. Uh, and they felt, yeah, that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And hell, ever since then, we've been hearing about got to be more explosive, got to be more explosive, got to be more explosive. So that's, uh, th- that's a, a fun what if to think about just to, to see how, well, and hell, and how much better Benny Snell could have been if you open up the offense a little bit more that year. Cause if you, if you remember, he struggled at the start of his sophomore season, he was really forcing things. And, you know, it, it was, Kind of like, is something wrong with Benny? Uh, sophomore slump, and, and they didn't – I remember they did not want to use that term at all. But there was a sense of like, hey, he just needs to relax some, let the holes develop instead of running into a bunch of bodies. Well, and um, they put Drake Jackson in the lineup too because they yeah. had snapping issues. I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff happened that season. <laughs> uh, and things could have certainly been different with Bedad and Boom. The one that I didn't – that I kind of happened upon – because uh, there was a slot, I, I was hoping for a sliding doors moment with Howard Schnellenberger having a shot to come to UK. Because I just hate that he was the guy that saved Louisville when he's a UK guy. You know, he started coaching there. He was an All American for UK, and he's kind of an an iconic figure for college football. And you wish that there was a moment where, hey, maybe they had hit him instead of Bill Curry. Things could have got rocking and rolling, but uh, the timing didn't add up. I think he was out. At, of the USFL in like 85 or 86. And at that point, Jerry Claiborne was winning eight games uh, in a year. So, like, things were still going fine. And even then, hindsight's twenty twenty with Bill Curry. Like, dude was – was that year at Alabama, he, he was up for, for the national championship or, like, they won, like, the Sugar Bowl or something? Like, he came off a really yeah. good year coaching at Alabama. They were kind of in the mix, but he also had – that was that year was surrounded by some bad years. So, like – which is kind of Curry's mo, you know. Yeah, they won. They won the Sugar Bowl. I don't think they won the SEC that year. I think they might have tied for it. Yeah, they tied tennis. It was a three-way tie for the SEC championship that year. I mean, but they lost he, to Auburn, and all, they would have won the SEC title. They were undefeated, they beat, and they lost they beat the, Iron, the Bowl. Iron Bowl. Yeah, yeah. The thing I think Bill Curry in his the year that UK went to the Peach Bowl, mm-hmm. I think he had as many wins that year as he did in all the other years combined. Like it's something close to that. Because I think they had. Nine, and then he was averaging like two or three every other year. And Dabo Sweeney was a freshman on his last Alabama team. Huh. Oh man, that's hard to think about. Well, and that was like uh, we got out of here last week, and I was texting you because uh, Auburn versus Tennessee in the SEC championship game was playing, and not I completely forgot that Terry Bowden coached Auburn, mm-hmm. and that was, he was Freddie's quarterback coach for a while. So, well, that Tom. Oh. Was Freddie's quarterback coach? Uh, Terry was the other son. Close enough. Damn bad. Why they got to stick to the same name? You know, Hell, that's I mean, a what if too. Because if Tommy stays with Bill Curry, because what happened? Tommy Bowden leaves to be the head coach at Tulane. He finds a guy by the name of Rich Rod, hires him at Tulane to be his offensive coordinator, and then goes all. You remember Sean King? He used to play for the Bucks. Oh yeah, he's on NFL Blitz. He's a badass. Yeah, he was a quarterback at Tulane, and they were the first ones to really kind of unleash kind of a dual threat offense, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And they went undefeated, finishing like the top fifteen. They were they were awesome one year. Sean King had a like his stats. He threw for like four thousand yards and ran for like fifteen hundred <laughs> or something. He had like, like this monster season. But yeah, that's a that's a what if I have two, I have two that I've really thought of. Um, my first one is if Rich Brooks comes back in 2010 if he doesn't retire after 2009 because you look at that 2010 team south carolina won the east at five and three that season (laughs) that 2010 team had a schedule where they got the two mississippi schools out of the west so you had no big dogs out of the west 
that Ole Miss team, the only SEC game I think they won was beating Kentucky in Joker's first or first SEC road game, I think it was, or one, one of the first ones. And then they lost a close one to Mississippi State. If Rich Brooks is there, if they don't lose those games, kind of flip those, then all of a yeah. sudden you're eight and four, you know, you're eight and four, kind of four and four. You're in the area where they could have won the East State year. When you look around the league, Georgia was down, Tennessee was down, Florida was down because that was the that was like I believe that was Urban's last year at Florida. That's right before everything or everything was going started to go back because it was post Tebow. So if Brooks is the coach there, I think there's a legitimate ch- chance they could have won the East because offense was really good. Yeah, uh, still had still had a lot of the athletes and, and even on the defense because um, was that the Liberty Bowl team or was that the the year, year after the uh, two years after Liberty? That was the team that went to the Compass Bowl in Birmingham and lost to Pittsburgh. And yeah, you had yeah, that was like the worst game ever. That was a totally like ah, we're mailing this in. Hartline was suspended at the time. Mm-hmm. Morgan Newton played in, in trouble. Was not very um, good. But like Mike Hartline was good that year, and yeah. and it was one of those things that. Uh, you know, I, I I admit that I believe that was like my fr- yeah that was my freshman year at, on campus, and I was way more concerned about chasing women and you know partying with the bros than I was with how the cats were doing. Um, but you you had the sense of like you know what? Uh, yes, we're losing Randall Cobb, but like okay, Joker might keep this thing afloat for a little while. Um, because of just how how much talent he had to work with in that year. And I guess Brooks, uh, that was probably in his mind, like, you know, if I leave now, then Joker has something to work with. I've already done a lot here. And you know what? I, I kind of just want to go hang out. Uh, is it in Washington? No, it's in Oregon. Yeah, I just kind of want to go hang out in my big old house in Oregon, enjoy some bourbon, yeah. play some golf. If you, if you ask some people, they'll say that one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he's left is just because he couldn't get the financial support from – the university and getting some investments in like getting a recruiting room and all that stuff. So that was part of the reason he got out when he got out. If they would have got invested a little more, he might've stayed a couple years oh. longer. And, and then funny. another one tied onto that was there was rumor Joker was going to be Oklahoma's offensive coordinator and Kentucky went ahead and made him head coach and waiting. Yeah. Yeah. What if they just let him go to Oklahoma and then if he does well, then you bring him back. Bill if he doesn't Parcells? do well. Yeah. If he doesn't do well, like where, where does that where does that where does that leave them in twenty ten? Who do they hire? Like who are the candidates? Oh man, I kind of wish I would have looked up ahead of time the twenty ten coaching carousel. Which, by the way, when you mentioned Taven Richards' name, I wanted to look up his stats at Marshall last yeah, year. Yeah, not very good. Eight catches, eighty seven yards. Mm-hmm. Well, what would, it's not always wonder, greener on the other side. I wonder if that was a mutual decision. Um, if, I think he. I, I did look and look at his game log, and I think most of those catches came kind of early in the year, and then I don't know what happened. Uh, Marshall's offense was pretty bad last season, so I don't know if they had past game. Ooh, here we go. Athlon Sports, 2010 coaching carousel revisited. Um, some of the big movers, uh, Brian Kelly, uh Butch Jones, Charlie Strong, Sonny Dykes. I think like Sonny Dykes would have been Sonny, Sonny Dykes was always. He was at Louisiana Tech, I think, at that time. Or actually, did Louisiana Tech hire him that year? Did it say? Uh, I think so. Yeah, he wouldn't have been on the radar yet. I don't think. No. Um, Tennessee hired Derek Dooley. <laughs> no, do yeah, Dooley left from Louisiana Tech to go to mm-hmm. Tennessee. And they that was an upgrade for Louisiana Tech. Oh, man. Whew. Oh, Joker Phillips. What did Athlon say when Kentucky hired Joker Phillips? Ideally, if you were a BCS school, you'd like to hire someone with experience as a head coach, but it's hard to poke a hole in Phillips' resume. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, Charlie Strong probably would have been an option if we're, you know, yeah, Florida defensive Florida coordinator. D- right, right. Dan Eno, Central Michigan. Where did he end up? That name's very familiar. He was uh, Miami's offensive coordinator last year. Ah, that's right. I'm remembering. Uh, either way, yeah, that, that's a good point. What was the year that the Bill Parcells thing happened? Because I've that was always before they hired uh, Brooks when the Brooks oh, hire. Right, oh, and I, and oh, I always I, I feel like there was something that came out 
recently that added a little bit more legs to that story. Like there actually was. I mean, hell, I think you know who I think it was. Tim Couch told a story about like actually being in conversations with Parcells and Parcells being legitimately interested until Jerry Jones got on the phone. Um, so, man, that, that's another alternate reality as well. The one that I I think that I stumbled upon um, was <laughs> what you know. What if Jared Lorenzen gets four years of how money? Mm-hmm. Uh, which it, it's it's one of those things that you kind of gloss over because they had that seven and five year, uh, in, and I believe it was his junior season. But they had they had that that was a great year. That was when most of those skill guys that Mummy recruited were reaching their peak. Uh, but they couldn't go to a bowl game. Uh, that was the thing I remember. They uh, Mitch Barnhart at the time because Mitch Barnhart was new to the job. Uh, I believe, was his first hire Brooks? I think that was his first big hire. Yeah. Um, because Cliff Hagen like cleaned house and they just basically promoted Guy Morris because um, he was a local guy. Well, there was if you there was a lot of that um, good old boys club kind of thing going on. I think where people were just kind of yeah. grandfathered in kind of thing and treating it like a country club. Yes, and I think Brooks or not Brooks, excuse me, Mitch Barnhart ended a lot of that, and I think that made some people upset. Right. But he promised, like, hey, next bowl game we go to, you guys are coming with us. And they, they kept up there on their promise. They A lot of those guys were, you know, invited by UK to the Music City Bowl when they went in 06, uh, four years later. But that – to think about – I've looked at Lorenzen's stats. Man, Jared threw a ton of picks, and he always joked about, like, man, because, uh, yeah, I think he was 21 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. But he threw for 4,000 yards under Mummy. Yeah. 4,000 yards. And in that freshman season, you know, I don't know how much flack Mummy took and I, for basically pushing Dusty Bonner out the door after he had a great year to, to let Lorenzen take the reins. But that season became unhinged early when allegations started coming out. And then turns out Claude Bassett was the worst cheater that ever cheated in the history of cheaters. Not only was he bad at hiding it, but he was bad at even cheating to get good players here. You know, they were very just like, and some of the stories too, like Bassett would just have his like recruiting, like he he, would, he had an open door policy and would just basically let anybody in there and then have his entire like big board up on the wall that all of Kingdom Come could see. And he'd talk to you about anybody. He drove around uh, the practice fields just in a golf cart. Like <laughs> that he was, he was the golf cart guy, the, the original golf cart guy, but Bassett gets, Big trouble for cheating. Mummy's out. Jared's got to go through a bunch of stuff. And he still broke a ton of SEC yeah. records without uh, even coming within 1,400 yards of that 4,000 passing yard mark. He has his true freshman. So, I mean, he could have been a 5,000-yard passer, Luckett, if, yeah. in that 2002 year if he had a mummy coordinated. Yeah, Jared, I think, biggest thing was just that he started all four years. So, he logged a lot of games. So, when you look at his pass numbers, if he's in that system, yeah. I mean, he's I mean, setting all kinds of records. And, and just the Jared Mummy personality, too. Like, they're both cut from the same cloth. That would have been – it was fun enough that having the Jared Renzen experience by itself, but having him with Mummy a few more years has been so much fun. I, I will at least add the caveat that if you notice, there's a trend with Hal Mummy, and he doesn't tend to stay anywhere too long. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun-loving. He's sound – he. Uh, he must not be the easiest to work with. He has a tendency to rub folks the wrong way. So, you know, maybe if he doesn't have an NCAA scandal, he probably only lasts until he has Gerald Lorenzen as a senior or a junior or whatever it may have been. Seems to burn out fast. Right. Um, so, I think Lorenzen would have been his fourth year or third year. His fourth Two. year was – Lorenzen's Richard freshman yeah. season. So him being at Kentucky for six or seven years, that would have been uh, – I can't imagine it being much longer. But you get junior year, Jared, that 2002 season, they could have won nine games that year. They could have put up more than 28 points against Florida whenever the wheels kind of fell off. So that that's a fun what-if that uh, I'd like to imagine. And also just because, man, there would be some games where they would just be running up the score. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But you also don't get uh, the year R2 Spinner has if Bummy stays too. I mean, R2 Spinner had SEC yeah. Player of the Year season. 
in 2002. Right. That's true. People forget that. He's a very uh, forgotten kind of great UK football player. That just cuz cuz really he was he had that one big season. That yeah, that 2002 team was fun. They were good. I mean, of course they had the bowl band so you don't it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but that 2002 team was pretty fun. There was um, and I have another I have another one too, which I just this is the Stoops era. One quick thing on our two spinner yeah. real quick. He was notorious for being a big uh, weight vest guy. Like, just constantly worked out with just a ton of weights on a big, strong guy. The thing I didn't realize, he was on the last – they used to have a U.K. football freshman team or JV team, and they used to play all of the – I remember that. They had it with – Yeah, they, they like played it against, like, EKU, Moorhead. They were, like, scrimmage against all these teams. And I, I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but, like, R2s had, like, 250 rushing yards in those games. It would just absolutely destroy those guys because nobody could bring them down. They used to play, like, military academies, like Hargrave Military and a couple yeah. of others. They would play, like, three, four, five games. Because I remember, like, I guess it was my freshman year in college walking through the parking lot on a Saturday or driving by. I was like, what's going on in there? <laughs> and it turns out it was, like, it was their JV game. Yeah, and it's so, basically yeah, just – easy thing. Their way to get them live reps, which I guess the the NCAA must have had to do something to, to kind of outlaw them because I can't imagine why programs wouldn't want to have something like that where you get. Uh, but I, I and, you know, we have the red shirt rule now that changed that, but that is another way to get guys uh, live reps. Mm-hmm. Or, and what can, you sound like you had one more what if for me. Yeah, my next one is if Neil Brown just stays one more year and with the, the Shannon Dawson experiment doesn't happen. Like how much. Yeah. How much better is Mark Stoops thought of as a head coach? They go to a bowl game in 2015. Patrick Tolles is thought of, I think, differently. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot. I think there's a lot there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And that w- – I'm trying to think of – And I'm trying to think of Kentucky uh, in-state recruits they might have lost out on in that 2015 oh, or 2016 class. One of them was Neil a was kid – that uh, was at Oklahoma, Austin Kendall. Yeah, but I'm a, yeah, and he ended up being kind of a bust or bust to this point. So, did he do anything in West Virginia last year? No, nah, he they, he he stunk it up last year. He got uh, beat out by a Bowling Green transfer by the end of the season. Yeah, yikes. Uh, but yeah, he would have. Yeah, Stephen Johnson would never. That, that's also a caveat of that is you don't get Stephen Johnson. That's true. That's true, man. And it, it is. Um, all these sliding doors moments. <laughs> right. You know, if one thing happens, the, the dominoes continue uh, to fall. Oh, man. I just I just saw Mick Cronin's face, and it's so weird to see him. Um, yeah, he's, he's a, it's a weird fit. It's definitely taking some use to getting used to. Yeah, oh, I'm looking man. at recruiting, like Kentucky, that 2016 class, which would have been most of the work he would have put in, like Landon Young, Dre Jackson, Cash Daniel, all of them. Gavonte Robinson. So it's not like they missed out on any Kentucky recruits. So the real thing yeah. is just you get you get to that bowl game a year sooner, and Mark Stoops isn't having to lean on a Mississippi State kick where you think he might get fired. Well, and that that was my my Florida what if because you can have a thousand Florida what ifs. That, that entire series yeah. is just at one what if after the other. The delay of game one hurt me the most because it was so early, and that. They needed to beat Louisville or Florida to get that sixth win, and you're going bowling in year two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the momentum you can pick up from that uh, on the recruiting trail. And the, the the amount of crap that he wouldn't have to deal with, too, as a head coach, the amount of pressure. You can kind of, you know, let your hair down a little bit quicker. That, that one killed me the most, especially because it was so unexpected. And for guys like Juice to play well against his home state school, to give Patrick Tolles a big win, because, like you said, we think of him in a different light if he, you know, wins another big game or two. And then just the Brent Musburger, boom, goes the dynamite. Like, that was freaking awesome. Was, it was. And, and, and that would have been a hell of a way to end the streak. I know that Kentucky still had a great streak snapping moment with the big play to Bowden. You had Josh Allen swatting on the pass and the strip score. But, man, boom, goes the dynamite. That's one hell of a way to end a, an, an enormous losing streak. Yeah, that game brings up some memories. You start thinking about that. 
but his the biggest thing I think he, is the approval rating just from the fan base and nationally. He it just gets instead of having to build it up over a sustained time, he gets it almost instantly right there. Then everybody's kind of on board with him. Well, in, in to that point, I think we can kind of start to move on um, because, folks, if you don't know Adam Luckett, he's nothing but well-prepared. And one of the things he's already done is he's got his first college football preview, and that's the Athlon Sports. I, I didn't know that people still got the Athlon Sports magazine. Like, I thought they just waited for Phil Steele. See, you got to fill up the time until July when Phil releases his. <laughs> and this is the perfect – it's not that thick. You can roll through it. Each team page, unlike Phil's, you can actually. It's like in decent size writing, so you can you it's can not read just it like a bunch of you. gobbledygook abbreviations yeah. that he makes up. And they they do rankings one through one thirty. They give predictions for the record, and all American teams, all conference teams, all that, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it usually comes out around Memorial Day weekend. So it's a nice gap filler, and it's a smooth read. Well, I like the two, format, and it's it's for anybody that's looking for. And we have bowl projections too. I just pulled these up. Oh, where oh Kentucky's great! Going. Bowl projections. Where's Kentucky going bowling? How does Memphis sound? Oh God! Playing the we, Baylor Bears. Uh, yeah, that doesn't do it for me. I mean, oh, it depends on we, the day. Yeah, we've we've done a good job of avoiding Memphis uh, to this point. So I, I would like to keep it that way. I saw where the the. Camping World Bowl, the the other Orlando Bowl yeah. game is now the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh-huh. So I would like to be the first non-baseball stadium Cheez-It Bowl champs if that's potentially possible. Also, thinking about bowl games while we're in the middle of all this coronavirus crap is just like, that feels so far away. Oh, it feels, I know. It feels I know. an I know. eternity away, but I love that they're still projecting it. And to your point about approval rating, this whole we're going to pr- pick Kentucky to go 7-5 and five every year, I, I think it gets back would, to what I was said last week. It's he's it's the Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, well, and I think on. that you'd be willing to go out on a win. Like if he had had a sick, if he'd gone to a bowl game a year too sooner, then I think you're going to see people more willing to to go on a limb for him. Besides just his boys, like Kirk Herbstreit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, which even so, the, the Athlon folks, even though they only predict a the seven and five season to finish behind Tennessee, which really they're just picking Tennessee to beat Kentucky in that game. That's what it boils down to. And they do say, which I think is fair, if Kentucky finds a quarterback, if Terry Woodson ends up being good, like don't like do not be surprised at all if they're right there at the top of the division. Which right. I which I agree with. But I mean it gets back to Tennessee is the flavor of the month this offseason. People are big on the big on walls so <laughs> well and it helps with the recruiting it helps when you got coach Doug's on board which by the way coach Doug's will be playing uh kentucky this time next week and uh part of my take is also hosting ksr that day it would be so great if he spent the entire day just talking trash to kentucky and then the wildcats just end an undefeated season um at the croak like that would that would be so much fun and it would make perfect sense in an all in video game reality, Kentucky easily beats Tennessee. And also it <laughs> is like the uh most like video game way of playing where you know eventually the computer's gonna beat you in a game you should win. Like, but they just beat you oh, and yeah. it just frustrates the ever loving hell out of you. But mm-hmm. that's what happens. And so I'm I'm hoping that happens. But that that's a big reason why Tennessee, their flavor of the month. We mentioned a lot more teams like that. Um, but what I what I thought was funny though, like it is that uh, is that Athlon bought the Jamie Newman hype, but they aren't buying Georgia over Florida, so they they're really flavor of the month. Anymore. Yeah, that was uh, a little surprising. Because <laughs> because like the one thing about Phil Steele, he may not be the best at his week to week predictions that Matt and Drew kind of poke fun at free money, but when it comes to like a key of East has a method that's tried and true when it comes to how he projects the preseason. And even though there are going to be some examples year to year where he's just off, you know, the water finds its level. And throughout history, it kind of goes this course. So when Phil Steele, when he has his all-SEC team, if he's picking Florida to win the East, if he hops on that flavor of the month crew, 
Kyle Trask is going to be his first team quarterback because that's that's how this works. And that's Athlon just falling for David Pollock talking up Jamie Newman. Yeah, I mean this. I I from my standpoint, I can't get on you for picking a first team quarterback because, like, if I'm voting, I'm just voting for the Alabama freshman because that's who I think is going to be the best quarterback. But most people aren't going to do that, so you have to plug in somebody. So you have to pick one of the these four options, whether it's Newman, Trask. Kellen Mon, and that—I mean, those are probably the three. I don't know if I'm skipping on a fourth one off the top of my head right now. John Rice, Plumlee. No, see, because even well, you look at LSU and Auburn. <laughs> LSU, we don't really know about their quarterback, and then I Auburn, Bo Nix didn't have a great yeah. freshman year, so I think they went with Bo Nix too. Um, and that. Uh, in, in their preseason thing. But they did have uh, a couple of Wildcats on the first team. Mm-hmm. They had Drake Jackson, first-team center, uh, along with Darian Kennard. Landon Young was uh, second-team. Fortner was third-team. So, I mean, that, that's, that's saying a lot about what they think about Kentucky's offensive line. And I, I think you said at, that a couple of them are All-American teams Yeah, Jackson well? – or Jackson. Jackson and Kennard, uh, second-team All-American. Yeah, not too shabby. Who who would Drake be competing with for best? Creed season? Humphrey, Oklahoma. Those are the those are the two. It's those two going it's after one or the, the other. Remington. Yeah, it'd be pretty badass if Drake won the Remington Award. Like just because I'm I'm all for. It's almost like going back to the video games. Remember when you had they had like the virtual trophy shelf and you could just scroll through and see. Because even though the college football awards they only recently started like putting them all under one roof, it used to be. Let's just have a thousand different award banquet dinners. Hell, it kind of happened with Josh Allen, but at least now ESPN's kind of having most of them on one night. In Kentucky, there's a couple of them they haven't gotten. Josh Allen checked a lot of those boxes off the list, but Kentucky hasn't had a, a Remington Award winner. They had an Outland Trophy winner with uh, Bob Gain way back in the day. It'd be pretty awesome if Drake got Best Center in America to go up with that Ray Guy Award, that Warful Award. Kentucky's slowly collecting all of the trophies. And of course, Demonte Donson didn't play center in college right, right. before going on to have a legendary NFL career with the Steelers. But the thing with this race with Creed Humphrey, this guy's six three, six four, six five, and he's going to be probably one of the top offensive linemen coming out in the just in, in the draft kind of thing. So he's going to be maybe a first round pick. So that's the thing Drake's going to have to compete with because when you start getting the Drake Jackson's NFL future. There's probably some limitations just because his size. It's going to scare right, some people right. off. So that that could could hurt him. And Oklahoma, of course, has got a reputation for having a really good offensive line. So, but that'll be a race to watch. Definitely think he's the class of the SEC for sure coming into this year, and he should have a great chance to be up for that award by the end of the season. If all yeah, goes plan, a good chunk of that too depends on how successful each team is. You know, if Oklahoma is back in the playoff. Um, you know, Oklahoma guys, they're going to get the the, the media bump award because it's like me when I go into SEC media days and I start voting. I try to be knowledgeable, but, like, come on. Uh, even me, guy who tries, there's going to be some guys out there who you're like, wait, A, that guy's still here, and B, wait, who? Who are these these folks? So, uh, you know, I, I don't begrudge too many people for the, the preseason misses or hits on these all SEC teams, but I will say that I'm – I thought maybe Yusuf Corker might get some third-team play. I don't know the lay of the land in some of the others. Uh, Boogie Watson, I think, was the only guy on UK's defense that got out there. Second team, all us. And it's like, how can that be if UK has a top 20? I mean, I know the SEC has plenty of good defenses, but UK's pass defense was the second best in America last year. And – their total defense, they're, they're top 20 in that. I think they're top 20 in scoring defense. You got to have more than one guy from that coming back that's an all SEC caliber performer. Uh, and I, I was just surprised that at least Yusuf Corker, the guy who's a leading tackler, who has, has really showed a lot of potential to have a huge monster year next year. I, I would think that he would uh, at least make some of the list going into next year. Whereas, like, you kind of get it with some of these corners because, like, Derek Stingley, like, there, there's some yeah. badasses out there. But, like, yeah, there's Cor- corners loaded next year in the conference if you just look at it. I mean, there's but, some dudes. But Corker's a safety. And, you know, I don't, I can't, 
I can't finger point anybody else out there. Right yeah, now. I'm looking at some of the names they have on here. I, I think it's very uh, – you can very easily make a case for Corker to be above some of these guys. Even the first just- – Alabama and LSU. Yeah, you know, well, next the, to their name. the no doubter is Richard LeCount at Georgia, number number two. He's the real deal. But I, after that, all, all these safeties on here, I'm not sure I would take any of them over Corker. So yeah, hell yeah, cases hell there. yes. Um, and do we is there anything more juicy from there? Because I I don't think there's anything yeah. that much. Well, they the best thing about the Athlon preview is they get some anonymous coach quotes. Oh on each team and they have a good amount of them. So I've pulled some from Kentucky and basically the thing they do, they, they throw some advanced stats in there that are pretty cool. Like four of them for each team. And for Kentucky, I didn't realize this. They were the slowest. Well, I'd realize this. They were the slowest paced team in the SEC and they were like 128th in the country, which doesn't cool. surprise. That's kind of their MO. Yeah. And then defensively, I kind of hammered on them for not forcing enough turnovers last year. Like we need, they needed to force some turnovers, but then you have to realize that they're not playing that many caps. So in a forced fumble rate, so it's the percent of plays where you force a fumble, they rank yeah. third in the country than that percentage. Huh. That's pretty so awesome. That was something that surprised me. Yeah. And then some of the quotes was just uh, Eddie Grand does a great job of adjusting to his personnel. So right. I think that, that over time, I think people, on other staff, other staffs notice that, and how he's worked at Kentucky, you can see that he's done a really good job of just kind of figuring it out on the fly. Which I think is Eddie Grant's biggest strength as a play caller. I don't think it's drawing up in the preseason what he wants to do. I think it's getting out there, realizing what he has, what they need to do to win games, and figuring it out and just getting it done. So I think, and that's a great great attribute to have as a play caller, as a coach, to fit, to be able to do that, to put your guys in positions to succeed. And then, and then another part of it was people were really, you know, pessimistic about Kentucky's passing game. So it's like they they're really they're really 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 going to have to run the ball to win, kind of thing. And they like like they locked some of the backs. <laughs> was there, there that much, many reallys? Yeah, there wasn't uh <laughs> much comments about Kentucky's line, which I found kind of surprising. But. Hmm. It was a lot of it was just, you know, the pass game. People are skeptical on the pass game, and they're going to have to prove that they can, you know, throw the ball on people. Yeah, I, uh, which is perfectly fine because it's one of those things that uh, for the longest time, it's, you know, you got to prove it. Um, and I went in kind of overhyping receivers for quite some time. Uh, and so for it to, you know, I, I've reached that point as well where I feel like, uh, you know, like Josh Ali is a guy who I'm confident in, but I, you still got to do it on a regular basis. And I, you can't begrudge other coaches out there for saying the same thing because look what Kentucky did in the past. <laughs> you know, last year, it, it was non-existent. And even though Terry Wilson is, what, 12-3 and three as a starter, he's had it, certainly his good moments, but the consistency – that was always the biggest issue when he was a full-time starter. Um, so, I mean, Terry, if another defensive coordinator is scheming for the game, they're not afraid of him right now. They think no. they have him figured out. But what Kentucky needs is for Terry Wilson – we've talked about this. What they need is for him to come in and be a creator, be a playmaker, make plays. That's something he hasn't proven he can do. I think last year he got the rug pulled out from under him because of the, the injury. So that's something I thought he could develop into, and we just didn't get to see it. So now we're heading into a season where you, you just don't know what what, what he's going to be. So it's very much TBD on a lot of fronts for ever for everybody involved. My favorite thing, look at when you see some of these advanced stats for the offensive line is uh, <laughs> some of the oh he allowed zero pass hurries last year, and it's like oh no shit. <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. I, I don't yeah, like those, those two. PFF man, they must get a lot of bump for anything Kentucky they put out because they oh, are man. putting out a lot of stuff lately. The Drake one was the one where I was like, man, that's really on the nose to just call the most the most valuable center in America. I'm like, yeah. geez. Yeah. Ooh, man. And then the, I mean, the pass grade they've been putting out, the, like the pass defense grade. Yeah, that was pretty good. Like uh, Kentucky hasn't had. The Q, opponent, oppo, opposing QB rating kind of thing, I think, was 
Yeah. What they did or something like that. But yeah. Um, I do want to get in uh, before we get to John Summerall. We got to talk about what came out earlier this week at Ohio State and what the boss man reported, Matt Jones, on kind of how Kentucky is going to come back to campus. And the plan is similar into how the University of Louisville announced where it's going to be phases of athletes. And that's that's really what we've heard everywhere was like it's going to be, a, you know, we're going to have a couple this week and then we're going to have more and then we're going to let a few more back on. And the, my understanding is it's essentially all of the guys who stayed uh, living in their houses near or on campus, they're going to be the first run, the, the Kentucky guys, and then we'll go from there. And if you all are wondering who those people are, it's all of the good players. Um, you saw Max Duffy and Luke Fortner. They had their own little show together. Uh, Landon Young's in Lexington, of course. Uh, Terry Wilson, he's there rehabbing. Devontae Robinson. All of your, for the most part, your, your guys who are running with the ones. With the exception, I, I saw quite a few uh, Florida guys uh, go home. Um, but for the most part, your, your top guys are going to uh, be there. So, I, look at, I don't think any either of us were surprised when we, we saw at least that part of the plan. No, uh, that makes sense. Um, to go and do it staggered instead of bringing in 100 guys at the same time, it's probably smart. Right, right. So, the the part that was uh, I, I thought enlightening was where their minds are when it comes to the actual how the season's going to go about because – Earlier that day, Iowa State announced, we're going to play at 50% capacity, limited to season ticket holders only. Um, they didn't mention students, which was kind of weird, um, but they just said, we can't do single-game tickets. We just don't have enough capacity to, which 50% felt a little liberal, um, especially the week before Gene Smith from Ohio State. He was putting it, it from 20,000 to 50,000, which essentially the range was 20% to 50%. They don't really know. And UK was right in the middle at one third, which if you go by season ticket numbers, uh, Kentucky has sold 27,000 of them, just north of it um, was the number the school gave me. So they're already almost at a third, or no, they would be over a third because a third of 60 is 20,000. Mm-hmm. So they would already be over. So you, you would have to either limit which games that the season ticket holders would go to or, you know, I don't know. There's a million different ways they can do it, but just having one plane to go off right there, you're already seeing Kentucky running. They're gonna, Mitch Barnhart's just going to be running into problems. He's going to have to find alternative ways to, to figure it out. Here's the good thing. It's still only May. It's May 27th. So you're going to get these players here. You're going to see if every, like if it's going to work, like if – or having outbreaks or if anything's going to happen. And meanwhile, the country, everybody's getting back to kind of a normal way of life slowly, but surely they have time to figure out Mm -hmm. what they can do. You can, if you have to, you can give the season ticket holders back their money for a one year type of thing. You have to limit it. So like they have time to figure it out. I think with a lot of this, because it's, such a big part of our everyday life that that we have, you know, you want to talk about it almost every day, but you have to realize like, Hey, Hey now, like it was just Memorial day. Football season doesn't start till labor day. Right. Right. Like we have, we have some time to, to get there. Let's the wheels are in motion. The train's leaving the station, but this, this isn't, you know, a 10 minute drive. This is, Cross country, almost cross country trip. We're gonna have to get to. We got a, a lot of time to figure this out. So, so let let's see. Hopefully, hopefully there will be fans in the stadium, and I think that's the way they're going. How many and how that looks and how it works, we'll see. But we have time to figure it out. No one like they don't have to say right now. They can only have twenty thousand people in the stadium. Right, right. To figure that out. Which that's why that that was the the thing I found kind of odd on Iowa State's part. I guess the AD is just one of those where I just. All right, I'm going to get it over with and get this done. Uh-huh. Because there's so much time. I think it'd be wise for me. I mean, why get a bunch of people mad at you if things are going to change anyway? You know, like what, what if – At Iowa if, State, they probably just met the season tickets that they were expected to sell. Yeah, and they're getting close to it. So, they're like, you know what, we'll just at least get this final push and get it up to 30K. <laughs> right, and then that maybe forcing people to spend money on season tickets, telling them there's not going to be – 
single season or buy well, season tickets if they're not going to be single season. And and the reason why Mitch Barnhart is such, in such a precarious position is because an athletic director's primary job to fund all of the other athletic departments is to sell football season tickets. That's the biggest driver of revenue that an athletic budget can have. Um, not uh, the, the TV deal plays a big part of it, but the biggest thing is getting butts in the seats on a consistent basis. That's the metric of success, um, especially in the SEC. So you you don't want to anger a bunch of people for no reason. So Mitch is going to take his time on that front. As far as who they're playing, you know, I, I I'm under the impression too that it's still too far away to see. But at least they're at least acknowledging, like, hey, you know, we could season can go on as planned and start on September 5th, if need be. Um, but we can also do the get rid of the crappy non-conference games and just play all of it. We can delay it, which, you know, it, there, there's a lot of things on the table uh, that they can choose from, which that's uh, smart at this point in the process. Yes, I get, I guess back, I think time's still on their side. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Hey, we know how long the off season is. Know, like man. in a in a regular situation, we would just be dreading right now because we're yeah. still ninety something days away from the season starting. Oh man, we'd be you'd be tweeting about the Reds like a dork. <laughs> would you? Would they still be saying uh, hashtag attbr? And this one A-T-T- belongs. Yeah, yeah. Ato. Ah. Sounds one. Yes. Yeah. Is that still going to be a thing? Like, is Tom Burnham so. going to do that? I would assume so. People really don't like Tom Burnham. Yeah, our book. Our guy Derek Terry is not a fan. He hates Tom <laughs> Oh man, he absolutely hates Tom. Burnham. I don't watch it as much as Derek does. So I mean, and he's I'm, a big when baseball I'm, guy too. When I'm watching, I'm not listening. I'm usually working on something or. Scrolling not through totally, social media. Yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. totally in the zone. <laughs> but oh, man. I'll take well, – I'll, I'll, I'll link the Derek side on that. Well, speaking of getting into the zone, we got to get to a little bit with John Summerall, uh, which – so, to, to peel back the curtain, I actually asked to, to talk to Coach Summerall last week before we found out Friday afternoon that Chris Oates had suffered – from some sort of undisclosed uh, medical attention. It's non-coronavirus related, but uh, he was in a hospital. Uh, from all of our understanding, it was very serious. But the good news is that uh, for the most part, it seems that he's weathered the worst of the storm um, and that he, he'll be moving to a rehab facility in the near future, which uh, is always a good sign to see. But a very scary situation, and I, I didn't – intend to to talk to him about any of that but you know i I had to ask him that's not in all this i kind of just cut it up into a few different things because i did a terrible job recording it as i mentioned earlier but going into this uh football season i don't want to say it's the biggest question mark but i chris oates and deandre square were your known commodities at inside linebacker jamin davis had a good finish to the season but still not on a regular basis. So it was like, okay, there's a lot of potential here. I want to know more about these guys. And first and foremost, Summerall was just not heartbroken. I don't know if that's the right word like it, but there is a – this feels like one of my kids is in the hospital and I can't really do anything about it. And that's just got to eat at those coaches at no end. Um. They're a family, you know. I mean, hell, how much time do they spend together? Right. Like, so uh, just too he, young. He, whatever it is, it's just too young to be dealing with what whatever it is. And especially being in the hospital right now, it's a scary time. So obviously, all of our thoughts and prayers are out to um, out to Chris and his family. Um, this is just an incredibly difficult time, but it appears there's good news on the horizon. And I don't want to sound. Uh, like shallow or crass or in any sort of uh, offensive manner to talk about the what it means for the team. But when I was having this conversation with Summerall just about his guys, because, you know, Jared Casey and Marquez Bembry, they were outside linebackers last year. So I, 
I want to just ask him, hey, what do they look like as inside linebackers in the five practices you got them this spring? How are they learning the position from afar? Uh, and he, he explains that. You'll hear that. But there was one line like it in our entire conversation that jumped out more so than anything, any of the recruiting stuff, was that we were at our best last year because we were playing four guys. And ideally, we want to get to where we're playing four guys. That's easier said than done. And that would involve them playing some guys who have never played before. Now they only have four guys as of where they stand right now. Yeah. The, the, Jamin Davis, DeAndre Square, Marquez Bembry, Jerry Casey. The good news is none of those guys are seniors, so they'll all be back next year. Right. Because Bembry was a rare Juco who had three years to play mm-hmm. at college. He uh, had knee surgery when he first got to UK, spent – all of the – I mean, he was rehabbing the whole time, and I don't, I don't think he really played at all of them in special teams last year. Mm-hmm. And then Casey got his red shirt, but started as an outside. They moved him kind of inside. It, But the the reason why it hit even more home is because a lot of summer I was talking about, like, man, I you know, I kind of put some of DeAndre's poor play on me for not getting him more breaks. And, you know, Jamin Davis, he's a big, strong, muscular guy, but – when you don't have any body fat, you can get hurt a little bit easier. You can pull a muscle a little bit easier. So depth is certainly going to be an issue yeah. at inside linebacker. And that was going to be the case um, before Chris Oates severed uh, his illness. So we kind of we kind of got into it and, and talked about some of that. And the thing I do like about John Summerall, though, like it is he's a, a, a football guy's guy. And mm. he, he, he brings a, an energy and enthusiasm that even at 9 a.m. in the morning when he's talking to you on the phone, hell, I, he had to – we we were talking for about thirty minutes, and he had to hang up because he was late for the position meeting. <laughs> he's got some juice now. He's he's got a lot of juice, and and that's why you're you're seeing some success on the recruiting front in the deep south. Um, and he shares that pitch as well. So uh, I, I have a feeling folks will like what they hear from Coach John Summerall. I agree. Uh, the biggest thing with Summerall, man, like you said, with the recruiting, he is. Got some, got some. I'm trying to think of a word. He's just got some. He's got some pull in the deep south. Yeah. So when he goes into these high schools, it's a bigger deal than other guys that Kentucky's had recruiting that area. Like he's a big, like he's a legit big time recruiter. Well, and, and you've he, seen he, some of the early payoffs for that. And it's not just because he's from there. I mean, he was recruiting those places, those same schools at Tulane and Troy. And here's the thing, like it, that people forget is you go into those big schools, and if you take some of their guys that are farther down the totem pole, when you rise up the totem pole, those coaches are going to be a lot quicker to open the door for some of the big names down the road. So he pulled off the big recruiting coup with Josiah right. Hayes. That was his first big one, snuck it right out from under Lane Kiffin's nose. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come. Right. Landon Chauncey Magwood, receiver out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. This 2021 class be out some, you know, big schools for him. Also got the kid from his alma mater, too. He's a pretty mm-hmm. big kid. So. He just got a rating. 24-7 gave him a rating. So, thank Moving you, 24-7. Up. And it looks yeah. like he's a mid-three, so he's not a low-ranked recruit either. They they gave him a pretty fair rating, I thought. Oh, man. I feel like we've gotten to a lot, but it is weird to, like – I feel like normally we like wind down, but we're about to hear from John Summerall, so I don't really feel like we're winding down. So do I just say see you later? What what do what do we do? I think we 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 touched it all touched on it all, man. Uh, I had a top twenty five coach rankings that got some people fired up on Twitter the other night. Oh, you 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 released your own? Yeah. Oh, was you Coach O number one? You must one? have missed the interactions. Oh yeah, that was probably when I was like passed out at like eight o'clock or something. I've had some of those nights. No. Um, I'm starting to twitch right now. Louisville media, most notably my guy Mark Ennis. A little upset. Mark Stoops was in the top 25. Oh, because he (laughs) – Even our boss had to jump in to the convo. Poor Mangus. That guy. 
You know what though? It's fun to have a rivalry with somebody. <laughs> it really is. But that that tells you it's summer though. That, that like that's been our summer. It's just yeah. Kentucky Louisville Are football over coaches. Smack talk. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's not summer until that happens. Now it's starting to happen very frequently. Oh, it's certainly. It's just a matter is. of time before they find out in this podcast. We we randomly tell people to pump the brakes on Scott Satterfield. Then they're gonna get we really declared upset. war on Scott's ties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, we'll write it one day, and we'll get those links out there, and they'll, they'll get those torches and pitchforks out. Don't you worry about it, Lucky. Yes. Don't you worry about it one bit. Well, we're going to get out of here, but before we go, stay tuned. Listen to a little bit of John Summerall. And also, I got a little treat tomorrow. Our boy Terry Wilson's hopping on a Zoom call with me, so that'll be a nice one to the Big Blue Nation. So don't geek, folks. Hold on tight, and we'll be talking to you soon on 11 Person. UK linebackers coach John Summerall, he needs depth to improve that position. And there's two guys who are going to play a role this season that you probably haven't seen yet on the field. Jared Casey and junior college transfer Marquez Bimry. He talks about what the former four-star Louisville recruit can do for the Cats this fall. They, they both have shown some progress in, in regards to the move. Um, you know, during this time, um, I would say that, you know, Bembry has, um, during the virtual meeting stuff, he has really stepped up in regards to communication and um, having a knowledge of you speak what you're doing. Um, now, there's, there's, you know, there's a difference, obviously, in being able to speak and actually go out and doing it. Mm-hmm. But, but I do see where he is, he's taking some steps in the right direction where man, he could he could not only be prepared if he just keeps investing and he's got the physical tools. So does Jared Casey. Jared's got the physical tools. The biggest thing that I was talking to Jared about, he knows this, is Jared has got to assert himself and you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, and uh, don't, you know, be, be vocal, be loud. Get, mm-hmm. get get out there a little bit and um, he can here's a, a kid that does not lack for intelligence he's got a good mind um, and it's just investing in the process and preparation so that he can have that confidence but both of those guys have done some positive things these meetings we've been able to have over the last few weeks have been good for them once upon a time John Summerall was the big bad upperclassman. Wesley Woodyard was the new guy, the freshman, the new kid on the block. And he tells a little story from that time and when he knew Woodyard was going to be a baller. I uh I can't believe Wesley's still playing. Like I don't know how that dude <laughs> like hey, 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 you and I both. So my last year here as a player, he was a true freshman. I tell the story to people all the time. He lines up next so I'm starting to will line back in the first couple of games and then they, they moved me to Mike and moved Wesley to Will. And I started, somehow I started every game my junior year here, which that, that shows you why we were so bad. But, um, <laughs> but Wesley, I look over and I'm like, man, they got this little dude over here. It looks like a DB lined up next to me. Um, but, you know, what Wesley has done, Wesley's got the first personality. He's got a great football IQ. He loves the game. Um, and I knew from the first time I watched Wesley play a game against Louisville at Louisville his freshman year, kickoff return and he freaking blasted two dudes on their <laughs> kickoff coverage team and I thought that kid's going to be a football player you know and, um, he, he the biggest thing you can say about Wes he's been a team captain yeah. every year in the NFL I mean that, that, that tells you all you need to know last but not least uh, I got into the weeds recruiting with Summerall uh, a guy who's done very well on the trail recruiting the deep south and Unlike Vince Merrow in Ohio, where they can say, hey, come come play for the closest SEC school to the north. He's having to compete against other SEC schools, and he explained to me how he pitches Kentucky when there's other kids who have other SEC offers. Well, so the, the first thing I do down there is it's about relationships. You know, and the, the number one thing, you know, to, to, to win on a kid – that's got other SEC offers. Uh, you have to, you have to, you can't have cracks in relationships. 
And so what I mean by that is you got to know the kid, but you got to know the mom, and you got to know the dad, and you got to know the high school coach, you got to know everyone involved in the process. And it doesn't mean that, that, that that's your main point of contact the whole time in the process, but you have to, you can't have cracks to sign a good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, to sign a really good player, you can't have, you know, areas of their life that you don't know about, the people that touch them that you don't know about. So you got to know the whole kid. you got to know the whole picture. you got to know the whole person. you got to know their story. you got to develop a relationship with them. they got to trust you and know that you care about them. And so I think that piece is the most important piece. You know, facilities are facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uniforms are uniforms. Right. right. All that stuff. All that stuff fades when you get there. But what doesn't fade is who are you going to do life with day to day? How do you know they have your best interest at heart? Can you trust them? You know, do, do, do you want to be around them? And I think that, that kids, man, the smartest demographic in the world, in the smartest, are, you know, 16 to 23-year-old kids. <laughs> you, they can call. They can see a fake as a fake quick, and then see real as real quick too. <laughs> and and so you have to be able to be genuine and authentic to who you are in that relationship with them, and and develop that relationship. But I think you also have to, in that relationship, show them that it is. And if you need something while you're here, if you need a home cooked meal, and you're coming to the house, if you need. Um, Whatever, you know, it, it, anytime you have something in your life, we're here for you. Uh, you know, the old saying that you don't have to be blood to be family. You just got to be real. Like, that's that's true. And kids know that. Kids feel that. Um, I think that went out, you know, over over a lot of other things that fade. Now, you, there are the things you have to address for kids in regards to What's the football situation city like? What's the campus like? What's the university like? What's the culture of the program? But all of those things right now here, we're now fortunate in a very different position than maybe 20 years ago when I played here. Lexington's always been a great city, right? Right. Because University of Kentucky's always been a great school. But now we've got the football facilities to, to, to equal that and match that. Now we've got the culture and the level of sustained success with what your coach developed here to match that. And so you you now, when you look across the board of a kid's decision, like the the, the adage of why not Kentucky? Well, why not? Mm -hmm. We've got great facilities. We've got great stability with our coaching staff. Coach Stoops has got – you know, as good of a as good of a done as good of a job in college football as anybody as a head coach. You've got great staff around you, great support staff, people off the field. You got a, a first class university, a first class city, um, a fan base that, that loves it, that loves it, loves the teams that we have here. So why not? Why 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 can't you do it here? You can do anything you want from here. And so I think that's the biggest thing is that there isn't a, a, a hole that's lacking anymore. And well, if somebody says to a kid in the deep south or in Ohio or in Michigan, Kentucky is this, that, or the other. Well, no, it's not. We got great facilities. We got a winning program now. We got, we've already had a great city. We've got a fantastic head coach with a great staff and a great support staff. We've got an unbelievable campus. Like, why would you not want to be here? You know, that's my thing. Is why, like, and, and I know that's part of the, the slogan a little bit, but man, it rings true to me. Is why not? Yeah. You know, don't tell me. It's easy to tell me why because there's a lot of good reasons, but I can't find a bad one. Why not? You know. So that's kind of the thing I I, I always try to get kids to understand, and then making sure they understand how you can develop them as a player, as a man, as a person, the whole deal. 